he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Welcome to episode 57 of Bellotified, the one and only podcast about event, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bellotta, and I'm here as I am every week with Alex Apostolidis. Hi, Alex. Hello. It is the beginning of a new year. It is. It very much is. And uh, it's an interesting start to a new year with the Omicron uh, variant uh, hitting shelves everywhere. <laughs> Coming to a store near you. Coming to a store near <laughs> Watch it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been very interesting, an mm-hmm. interesting start. Let's just quickly talk about New Year's Eve. Uh, how was your New Year's Eve? Did you do anything on New Year's Eve? did it was it was very lovely it was very quiet um but i had just uh you know uh david and illy and Cher and janet and then my uh two good friends milo and robert came over and so uh illy came by a little later and uh you know we just had dinner and played games and at one point put on the tv while we were sitting around the table playing games to kind of listen and then went in for the ball drop and you know so it was very quiet. I didn't do, I didn't watch a lot of stuff. I didn't listen to a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was peaceful. And we even ordered in, I had some stuff I prepped, but uh, we ordered in, you know, you know, I did a little hors d'oeuvre and made a pretty charcuterie board and made spanakopita then and ordered in dinner. I went easy on myself. Good, good. It's about time. Uh, it was quiet too, where we were. As yeah. a matter of fact, there was a, a gigantic party happening in downtown Miami. We were in uh, the South Florida area. Uh, and th- this is a party that is traditional in Miami, happens every year. I think Pitbull is usually a big feature. He wasn't oh. there, I don't know this year. In any case, it's an outdoor live event. We went nowhere near it, I'm sure. It was packed. Uh, we ended up having dinner with my family. My my nephew, unfortunately, who was planning to host, uh, works in an environment where there was a breakout. So uh, they felt it wasn't appropriate to have us over and described their situation as working in a Petri dish. So uh, we... Uh, and they work in an office, by the way, in HR. Uh, we so just had a very quiet dinner with the family that started at six o'clock. And by nine o'clock, we were done. And my, my mother really wanted to go home. We were at my sister's and my father was in front of the television watching a game and not ready to move until the clock would strike midnight. Oh, I love your dad. He was, he was uh, quickly uh, 
disabused of that uh, thought, though, when my mother mm. said she wanted to go home. Uh, and we ended up back on Fort Lauderdale Beach where we were staying. And Florida is one of those states that allows people to purchase fireworks. And so even before Christmas, even before Christmas Eve, you start to hear them go off in neighborhoods. And on New Year's Eve is like the culmination of whatever people have left and whatever they've purchased in addition to what they had. Because you can find it in the grocery stores, you can find them almost anywhere. And so, as a matter of fact, they sell them like they sell Christmas trees here. Wow. Florida, you can, you know, stop off as you're driving down the road. Uh, so that's the culmination and you hear them going off everywhere. And we went back to the beach where, of course, people had them and were lighting them off uh, until early, early, wee early in the morning. Uh, but other than that, it was really kind of a non-event. The most interesting thing about it was watching the CNN show with uh, uh, Andy. Oh, mm -hmm. And what can I remember his name right now? Andy was, and was it Billy Porter? Was that the one with Billy? No, no, no. It's oh. um, it's Anderson Cooper and oh, Anderson Cooper, Andy yeah. Cohen, ACAC. Yeah. Uh, was there uh, was their program their CNN New Year's Eve program? They were blitzed that by the by the end of that program they were both so drunk really oh my lord oh i'm sorry i missed that you are sorry you missed it because the things that were coming out of andy cohen's mouth as a matter of fact he had to apologize to abc and ryan seacrest the next day for for uh dishing them some tea if you will uh on that night and if you just look it up i will i will google one. that I, I don't think I've ever seen Anderson, well, why would I? I don't know him, right. but he was tipsy. See, now that's what I want to see. It doesn't surprise me so much from Andy Cohen. And I don't mean that as any dirt, no, you know, no, not dish and dirt, but it just doesn't surprise me. Anderson Cooper, however, I would love to see that side of him. And it was, what was interesting was how strikingly different the alcohol made them be. Andy Cohen became much more, much cattier, and Anderson became gigglier. He was I giggly. See him, I want to see him giggly. He couldn't stop laughing, uh, which could be a little insight into their character. Yeah. Well, you know, one gets a little bitchy. <laughs> One mm -hmm. just has more fun. One lets loose and has, mm -hmm. and you know, and it, it's going to be hard to be Anderson Cooper and have to keep up that persona of kind of this straight laced, you know, you know what I mean serious by that, but, you know, man. but just yeah. really serious and respectful. And, you know, it's nice to, it's nice when you see somebody like that, let their hair down a little bit. And I'm going to go so far as to say that being gay uh, makes that even more necessary for him. And that might sound like a stretch. No, nope. nope. I, that's kind of where I was headed with that statement. 
Yeah. You yeah. know, you've got to prove your worth, right? It's like yeah. being in any other minority group when you're trying to uh, join the ranks of those who've been doing what they've been doing for a long time. You hide, you mask, you know, the parts of yourself that you feel you need to mask in order to do the job, get the job, be accepted. It's that kind of vulnerability that um, we're reading about now in class, and we will talk to students again in my cohort. Uh, the idea of vulnerability in business and uh, the advantage leaders who have been able to allow themselves to be vulnerable in front of their teams uh, fare out much better in the long run in not only relationship building, but productivity, morale. And I, it's completely understandable, right? I think to people like us who spent a lifetime in the theater, study theater, you, you can't not be vulnerable and study theater. And those who don't allow their vulnerability to, uh, to manifest really never, they, they're, not, they're not really actors, if you ask me, because that's part of the job, right? You have to come to a set open and ready to work. And, but in the corporate world, it's very different. And the teachings have been very, very different. Uh, so it's an interesting concept to talk about vulnerability and the workplace, and especially with regard to leadership and its impact and effect. So I'm hoping to have some conversation with the cohort who's in the middle of reading Brene Brown, uh, Dare to Lead, uh, which this is a, a primary topic to see what they think about it. Uh, it's providing a Zoom conference too, by the way. I'm looking into maybe doing that. Who is? Renee. Oh, is she? Yeah. I would love to know when that is. I, I'd I'll like look to, it up on Sunday. I, I have not seen any of the interviews that she's been in or, or you know, television features she's had. I, I did see her on the screen in the gym once. She was being interviewed, but I wasn't listening in on the television. I'd love to hear her and get a sense of her. Watch any of her TED Talk. She's amazing. What to do. She's amazing. And I, there's a, one of my favorite quotes, and I'll probably get it a little wrong, but the essence is, if you're not in the ring fighting, your opinion means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is one of the quotes from Dare to Lead and probably one that she's repeated often. Mm -hmm. And it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is really key for people who take a creative route. Because that can be really difficult. It, it requires vulnerability. First of all, you're putting yourself out there. But um, you also get a lot of feedback from a lot of people when what you do is in the public eye. And so it's really important to keep that in mind because some people are speaking from experience and know-how and some people are giving you pure opinion wrapped up in commentary, you know, that 
feels real. And you have to be selective in who you deem qualified in your life to give you feedback. And that's sort of the point that she makes there. That's a really nice way of putting it, Anthony. I like that. So who in your life, Alex, do you, do you take feedback from willingly and, and open-mindedly? It kind of depends on um, the arena, the area. Uh, I am going to say something to you. I, on stage, in rehearsal, I'm an open book. I can be as raw and vulnerable as they come in my real persona, my real life, based on some past experiences, it's very difficult for me to be vulnerable. Um, but I can, not but and, because but negates. Um, I can, it, it depends. So David is a person that I can take feedback from, um, interestingly enough, right? Um, and I have a couple of friends um, I'm starting to open up more to that because of the, the Reiki group that I'm involved in. And I have found that I am more open and vulnerable about things and beginning to get to the point in my life where I feel much more comfortable being my authentic self, not in a callous way, but I'm really getting to the point where I no longer care if it's accepted or not. Mm. So I think that that being willing to take feedback is going to expand even more. It's not about not willing to hear any kind of criticism. It's not about that. I need to know the intent with which it's given. If the intent is out of love and friendship and honesty and a willingness, desire to help me grow and expand, awesome. I can hear it all day long. If the intent is to belittle or demean or tamp me down, I'm not open to it. Right. And I do believe that's the beauty in deciding from whom it is you're going to receive feedback because you're going to get it even when you don't ask for it. See, and so I would trust you too, as well. I wanted to throw that in there. You're somebody who I would feel comfortable in getting honest feedback from. Ditto, right back at you. And you. and I, I would implore you that if you ever felt differently about that, that please let me know because I count on you to be honest and to tell me what you really think when I ask you. I don't count on you to tell me what you think I want to hear. And that's also part of selecting people to give you feedback. It's not only about selecting those you know will give you honest and workable feedback, but those who um, are not afraid to give you feedback, not afraid to give you real feedback. So, you know, you can't, you have to be selective in that way mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and, and the point here is that you're going to get feedback from a multitude of places and it's up to you to determine what is important and what is not. And then the, the, the trick is to be able to respond appropriately according to what you feel is 
valuable to you or not, you know, in a way that uh, keeps your self-respect intact, you know, Bing yeah. <laughs> that's it, you know, and, and I'm going out on a little bit of a woo-woo limb, but if you're an empath, if you are somebody with strong empathic tendencies, and I know that I am, it's a balance of being able to hear it and not take on anybody else's malintent, mm -hmm. um, but also be able, being able to discern why. And this is something that I'm really delving into now. If there is any kind of malintent, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, what is the reason behind it? Instead of jumping on the bandwagon and getting angry, what's the reason behind the malintent? Why did they say what they said? Was it really personal or is it coming from something within them and has nothing to do with me? That's, that's okay. not that's not easy to do. No, but you're following up with curiosity, which is um, impressive because it, it, in so many ways, it's helpful. First of all, it enables you to get past the assumption because the immediate response might, in fact, as you just said, be an assumption. So it allows you to get past that. It clarifies anything. And, and it also helps to engage with someone because mm -hmm. you might find out something really interesting. You, you might learn something by being more curious. And there might be a tad of truth in what they have to say. It just may have been said in in an inappropriate way. I remember being being with, uh, I can't remember who it was quite honestly, but I was in London and I was talking to somebody from, uh, from the Middle East and it was business. And I think he said to me in response to something I said to him, well, that's up to you. And the way that it sounded initially was a bit uh, offensive, as though he was being flippant. But thinking about the culture and the the uh, the tone, I realized that I was taking more from that comment than what was intended. And that I had to sort of step back, that there was no offense. Right. Really, I was just, I was just offended because it was said in a way that was sort of matter of fact and perfectly reasonable from that standpoint. But culturally, it just didn't make sense. And so it sort of made, you know, made my hair stand up a bit. And so I had to take a step back and think, oh, okay, this is really what he meant to say. It just, he said it in the way that's most comfortable and, you know, easily accessible to him. It just didn't come across. Translate, basically. Translate, right. I've been blessed. I have a new friend in my life and we are so much alike that we actually were together on Saturday. Um, we realized we're a really good mirror for each other in that I see the way she responds to things and it's exactly how I would respond to it or almost exactly. And so we have decided for each other to become, number one, hold ourselves accountable to each other. 
to be each other's kind of cheerleader and to push each other because we're both kind of in this exploration and to push each other and also to be more assertive, confident, and have more feelings of worthiness. And when you see somebody who's very much like you and you think these things are hidden and that nobody really sees them, all those feelings and shy and, oh, I'm not really, I'm not good enough. And you see it reflected in somebody else and you know that you're very much alike. It's a huge eye-opening. It's a huge eye-opener. So it's really cool and such a blessing to have that person because she, oh my God, she's, she's lovely. I adore her. I'm 100% comfortable. I have found I'm very vulnerable in front of her. I've only actually seen her, I think, four times, but it was an instant connection. Mm. And uh, so it's really kind of cool to be able to take those personal things and work on them and know what she needs to work on it. So we keep pointing to each other like, uh-uh, don't do that anymore. You and I need to work on that. We just say it to each other. No, we can't do that anymore. That's so a blue it's, thing. It, it's, um, it's wonderful. It's really awesome. Yeah, that really is wonderful to have that and to accept it so willingly and be able to offer it willingly and uh, non-threatened in a, a non-threatening kind of way, you know, because we all have issues with vulnerability, all, everyone. Uh, it's funny how we can look at people. And I think I might even be one of those people that comes across as confident and, you know, doesn't, isn't vulnerable and probably doesn't have a lot of feelings. It's possible that I look that way. It's hard for me to really be objective, of course, but I kind of come across as a hard ass. So I've known you for so long. I may not be objective enough. You do come across as very confident and there are times where it's very business. I would never associate the words unfeeling with you or lack of vulnerability because I know you. Mm. But even in, and even in situations, I still see the way you respond to people. And even when, and not 100% of the time, right? I, being perfectly right. honest, not that, but who is? I still see the way you you respond to people in a difficult situation. And I'm also noticing that that taking a step back and taking a breath has increased in you in this last year. I mean, if we're, if we're being really honest, that is something I have taken um, notice of. Thank and it's you. lovely to see. Thank you for that. I, I have to attribute that to the program and the teachings and the readings and uh, the realizations that I'm coming to that have been there for a long time that I'm finally, you know, understanding. Uh, and I encourage everyone to read Renee Brown and to uh, just to read it and take it in and see if it 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 impacts you the way that it's impacting millions of other people. And that's not it. It's also about, um, it's also about wanting to be and to 
hone an environment that is positive and that people don't feel drained from because there's so much that happens in the world of events that drains us you know especially now in the new year with all of the uncertainty that still looms uh it's there's just so much stress out there that it's unnecessary to work in that kind of environment as well so the the hope is to just provide a place where people have comfort even though it's very difficult you know and the clients can be demanding and the hours can be ridiculous and and the work can be tedious and it's a people business that we're in so we use documentation and we use contracts but we still rely on the word of other people and the good intentions of other people. And that's stressful. If we were selling pens, it would be a bit less stressful. <laughs> if we were making widgets. <laughs> a bit, a bit. But you know, I had, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just, I, I had a, uh, something happen today talking to a client um, um, and I had questions and we've been kind of going back and forth on email. I'm like, you know what? I don't have time for this. So I picked up the phone and I called her. We probably had a 20 minute conversation without ever having spoken before, before we even got to business. It was such a personal, and I don't know how we got off on these tangents and they were led by her, but we did. And it was really lovely. So it made the business part and having to talk about money and negotiate so much easier because now we have a personal connection. And in light of all of the technology that we use today and the fact that email is such a primary part of business, what does that tell us? What is, what is, the, what is the end uh, result of that? For me, I think it is, we need to slow down and we need to take personal approach. And because email, yeah, even though that's always big, I used to be more about picking up the phone. Yes. Let me talk to you. Let me You're talk to you. a phone person. I am a phone person. Yes. As much as I hate to, after work, I don't want to, unless I want to talk to you, I don't want to talk to you, right? right. I, right. But I am, I am, I want to get to know people. I want to uh, establish a relationship. And I've gotten out of that habit because it's 24 seven and it's, it's just this inundation of requests and needs that it's just so much faster. I, I, you asked earlier about goals. I wanna slow down a little bit. I wanna give people my full attention. I wanna be able to give them the service that I know I can give them, but that means me and doing it the way I do it. And that won't work with everybody, but it also does work. I know it works with our artists. I know it works with, you know, a couple of my clients. I, I have at least three that it works really well with because they don't feel like they're just a number either. It's not transactional. Mm -mm. And I, uh, I appreciate that. And I do believe, I don't know this client. I don't know how many meetings or events that she will bring to San Diego. I don't even know if she lives in San Diego or is around San Diego. I, in fact, I assume she's not from our locality, 
But that said, I think what you have here is an opportunity to build a relationship. And in the world that we're moving towards, locality will mean less and less and less. Your ability to make things happen uh, in other localities, which you've already already proven, um, will be more important. And so the fact that you're building this relationship, A, it makes it more enjoyable for you. Mm -hmm. And it makes it more meaningful for you and it makes it more meaningful for the client. Unfortunately, you're right. There are so few of them that want to engage that way anymore. But my, my um, response to your goal would be to seek those out, seek them out and do exactly the way that you do it, which is to work on those relationships. So rather than spend a lot of time on other things, you would dedicate more time to this particular person in reaching out and seeing how she's doing, even when there isn't any business, because that's, that's what's fulfilling and what's personal and real. And you know what? We don't want to lose that in our business. And I, that's the one thing I fear more than anything moving into the virtual reality, the virtual realm, excuse me, is loss of personality. Because at the end of the day, the discussion you had with her gives you more insight into what she needs than the email ever, 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 ever could. Even if she said, even if she answered all of those W's, the, you know, the, the why, the what, the where, the who, the how, all of them, uh, and how is in a W, I get it. But even if she did all of that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have her, the sense of who she is and what she represents. And that in the world of events, in, a, in, the industry, in an industry where we were really trying to present engagements that speak to the audience at hand rather than not, that, that is in some way relevant to that audience, um, it's, it's important. And, and the, the, the more separated we are, I think the harder that's going to be to manifest. Yeah. Where is, you know, it's like, how do you celebrate people when you really don't know who they are and what's going to ring their bells, flip their switches? You really can't. You can try and you can, you can, realize something maybe get lucky maybe but you most likely won't hit the nail on the head and sure people will walk away feeling rewarded but will they walk walk away feeling that they were really acknowledged that they were seen that they had their moment of glory that they they were given some wings to really express their 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 their, their their gratitude and their and their success i don't know i just don't think it's possible unless we have conversations and we are face to face with people and we know the culture of the groups that we're dealing with and what rocks their boats i wish brene brown or you know people like that could be mandatory reading for students and i'm not talking college students i'm talking high school students 
because I fear that that art is being going to be lost even more. Um, but also it's easier to be open and vulnerable and personal when you come from a place of confidence. It makes it easier because you do have a little bit of less of this is who I am and not afraid to be who you are. Right. Right. It's, it's interesting though, how some people have confidence and some people don't. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, you know, and, and, and I wonder in some people, it seems almost genetic, like it's part of the family uh, bloodline, you know, I know that's ridiculous. And no, I actually agree with you. I agree with you. But in others, it's gained, right? Those who test themselves and constantly exceed where, you know, constantly exceed, constantly succeed when they're tested. And accept themselves. And accept, yes. And accept their failures as a potential to grow. Yes. That's part of being vulnerable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Being able to fail. And that's, that's been hard for me. That's, that is, that's what's kept me back my entire life is the failure, the fear of failing. And, you know, people will say, oh, you're good at whatever you do. No, I only do the things that I know I can be good at. And that's very different. Well, from my perspective, you've been very good at many, many things. Oh, well, that's kind, but no, no, it's the truth. It's the truth. It really is. And a lot of people see that, but I do understand what you're saying. You know, it's easier to go forth in the things you feel confident in. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, let's be real. If I, if I was as confident as all that, I would have been on Broadway. I would have stayed in New York. I would have you know, done what all of my classmates were doing. And I, I, I would have done it, but I, I was too afraid. And exposing myself was really difficult. And taking criticism at a young age was really difficult. It was something that, that was really hard for me to overcome because I was raised in a world full of criticism. And you know, I'm not blaming anybody. It's just the messages that I had to sort of overcome and not only in high school and junior high, but at home and in family life as well. You yeah. know, I Greeks and Italians aren't the most loving, uh, you know, demonstrative, you know, huggy people. Um, not, not at least in my family when we were young, there was love, but it wasn't it wasn't related. It wasn't spoken. It was just, it, it was, it was there in the way that we were, we were, uh, protected and fed and, uh, you know, uh, challenged to do better. But, uh, but there was this sense that we shouldn't try things because we would fail. Not we could fail or might fail, but we would fail. And that's very strong language. And unfortunately, uh, it's hard to overcome that. And so I wasn't ready to take criticism. And it was a long time 
Angelo could attest to this. It took me a long time. And it's still hard to take. It's never any easier. It's just that you are better able to control your own sense, your own being when it's, you know, when it's being foisted. When the, and when the intent behind it is lovely. I did have one teacher, uh, professor, and it was an, an acting class in college. And he, you know, he said the, the class was giving me this tremendously wonderful feedback. I was doing a scene from a Chekhov scene and, and it was the seagull and I got all this great feedback. And he turned to me and he goes, that was an example of acting. That was it. And I smiled and he goes, knock it off. You're better than that. Oh. And everybody started to come to my defense and I went, no, thank you. Go. And I got my pad because I knew the intent. Right. And everything he said was true. And when I came back and did it a week later, he just said, brilliant, done. Good so, yeah. you know, if you know the intent is good. And I just want to share something um, with you that kind of happened to me the other day. I have this thing where I do, I have conversations out loud when I'm alone with people in my life. And it's real people in my life. They're not imaginary. But they're I have these. There. They're just not there. And I have conversations and I hear I hear them speaking to me, right? It's a back, it's a true back and forth in my brain, but I'm also verbally speaking. Um, so yeah, world, I am a little wackadoo, but that's okay. So I was having this conversation with one of my teachers now. And as I was having this conversation, I heard her stop me and say, Do you know that you qualify all your statements about yourself? That you use disclaimers all the time. And my response was, I do that, don't I? And she said, yes. I said, I need to stop that, don't I? And she said, yes. And I had this tremendous aha moment. And I wrote it down in one of my three journals that I'm writing things in. And it was, that stems from a, I'm, I'm I'm, I am justifying, when I do that, I am justifying my unworthiness. I'm beating you to the punchline. And I've done that my entire life. Yes, you do. I do. You do. You preface ideas that way and comments that way. Uh, yes, you do. So we're going to help you not do that. Yes, please be a mirror to me. I, I, because I am really trying to change that behavior. So I appreciate and accept the mirror very much. So I will tell you that, uh, what from my, my sense of that is a gentleness and a kindness um, I, n I never saw it as a way that, you know, you were protecting yourself. I always saw it as more of a way to show understanding. But now that you say it, I get it for sure. Yeah, makes sense. So we're going to help you not to do that. Hey. We're going to relieve each other from our fears. That's a good thing. And that's a good thing because there's a, there is a lot of uncertainty for 2022. <laughs> I did a little research and came up with some trends for events in 2022. And not surprisingly, uh, most of what people are saying is pointed towards hybrid and the fact that online events aren't really going anywhere in 2022. 
and the companies that will be best suited to move forward in 23 and 24, that's, believe it or not, sort of discounting 22 already, those will be well suited for the new event paradigm um, are those who are investing in the hybrid solution, in understanding virtual audiences, uh, and in, in creating uh, experiences that will work for those audiences. You have to, in other words, the trend for 2022 is to keep your eye focused on virtual and on hybrid, which is still undefined, uh, because it's not going anywhere. It will definitely be part of the landscape moving forward. Uh, and I would also venture to say that I'm not reading anything that says one industry will do it this way, one industry will do it that way. In fact, I'm not seeing a lot of um, differentiation between industries. And I think that's, and when I say industries, I mean between association and uh, corporate and social. And I do think that's a bit of a, a mistake because different needs drive different events and association events are part of the overall value statement that an association offers. It's about the networking and about the opportunity to also get yourself known in groups from throughout either the world or the country. So there's a different need and a different value proposition there than there is for say a corporate meeting in which there is also a different driver from a meeting than an incentive event. So there are different reasons why events are held. And I think that that is going to be the ultimate guide to what we do moving forward, live versus virtual versus hybrid, uh, where companies can in fact initiate a hybrid component or a virtual component, that's already happened. And those who have felt that this sort of move to virtual has been just a stopgap are going to lose out because the virtual, the, the reality is the virtual component will continue to remain vibrant. And I, we've said it on this program before, and I didn't see it in the readings that I have taken on, but nobody's spoken to the fact that training will still, in my estimation, drive virtual attendance, whereas uh, recognition and reward will drive live events when it comes to corporate meetings. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. There are, of course, outliers to that, mm -hmm, and there are reasons course. to meet, you know, and, and but that aside, I, I do, I do see that as a miss because I, we can't generalize and we have to remember that events are thrown for a reason. Mm -hmm. And the reason drives what the application should be. That should always be the case. What should happen is that as event professionals, we need to acknowledge the fact that we have this other tool in our toolbox. And although many of us are hesitant to, to immerse ourselves 
in virtual because it doesn't give us the same kind of feel good moment that we get in live. If you want to do meetings and events moving forward, you have to start if you haven't already to get to know what virtual is and how it works and what doesn't work. The other, uh, the other theme I'm seeing is the idea of uh, asynchronous events, which I think is right on. There's no reason why a virtual and a live event that uh, are built as one event need to live in the same time and space. And we've had this conversation before. And so I'm, I'm really happy to see that being noted as a trend, the, the idea of asynchronization, which goes along with the idea of something, again, we've spoken about, the idea of a, an annual offering offerings that continue throughout the year aside from the one or two large events that an organization would offer i i see that as being really key in developing an audience uh, if you are in fact a an event that requires the development of an audience you know you you have an opportunity here to keep them engaged year long rather than just once a year as well as with marketing material that basically talks about that one event a year which is 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 going to become very unworkable there has to be more information and and more that carries the attendee to the event to that live event throughout the year uh, Do you see this? I'm going to ask you a quick question because this, my brain goes that this offers that your this viewpoint offers an opportunity for more interpersonal. Going back to that, throughout the year, that we keep not only are we engaging those people, but those people are now engaging each other. So it keeps an energy up, a level of appreciation up, a level of excitement up. Would you say that's a benefit of the live? Uh, no, of, of doing the uh, of keeping a virtual, but keeping people throughout the year. Oh yeah, I see. You know, it. yeah, I do. I see it as uh, a way for people to engage deeper, mm -hmm. more deeply into an organization, and you know, I, I still feel that we're colonizing. We're, we're colonizing in a way, if you will, with regard to our social habits. I mean, we all have people that we know and like, but I just, I see audiences driving forward towards one particular set of experiences. And there's an opportunity to cultivate those audiences if you're one of those experiences. I just don't see people looking for a lot of new out of the box things that don't pertain to what it is they they feel, think, their culture. Maybe that has to do with politics in America. Maybe that's why I feel this way. But we are so we're so right. We've been divided so that People are looking for other people 
that share commonalities. They're not so open to meeting people who don't, it seems. And so I see there's going to be an effect and impact because of that. And people will be less willing to throw a fish fishing rule or, you know, cast a net, if you will. What do you think about that statement? Well, yes, I agree. Because there has been such an intense polarization. I also see a little bit of a trend and this is again, and speaking to the things that I'm studying now and working on uh, where there is a larger population trying to overcome that. And I'm noticing it in this group of people that I have befriended that I'm working with. I know we haven't gotten into conversation, but I can tell that politically we're very different. And yet, whereas before that might've made me pull back, there's so many amazing things that they're doing for the greater good that I kind of overlooked it, mm -hmm. you know, because I can see all the good in them. Right. And so, yeah, we may not agree politically and yet, and not even in the end, there's so much amazing, they're doing such amazing work to elevate society through the work that they do, through the healing and, and the work that they do. Which is I think important. it is important. And I think if we could get that out there more, you know, and, and sitting at home when you, when you're kind of, you have to sit at home because of, of COVID and you're watching the news more, it polarizes us even more. We get into our own bubble. We're only in our own heads or in the heads with the two or three people we're with. And there's even, even still a practical side to this argument. And, and you just sort of nailed it on the head with people sitting at home. And that's the idea of, of on-demand content. There's so much to watch. There's so much to look at that if you don't engage with people and give them some content to keep up with you on an annual basis, you're going to lose them. Yes, exactly. Yep. And you don't want to lose them. You want mm -hmm. to keep them because it's again, going to be much harder to find new people. So you want to continue to engage. And that brings to mind the idea of content and, and ownership of content, which could be a completely different conversation, having nothing to do with trends. But the idea being here that as you as you build events in 2022 and you're cultivating engagements and experiences that include onstage experiences, you would be wise to get the approval of those with you're engaging on your stages to video that content and then put it on your on-demand station. So you want to think about getting those approvals in advance and building a library of content, especially if you have renowned people on your stage uh, and you're really cultivating the program in, for example, if you're interviewing them on stage, 
there there's no reason why that can't be filmed and then put online with the consent of the person you're interviewing because it's not copywritten material it's not owned it's it's not a, a powerpoint that might be uh, owned by someone visuals you know it's conversation so it's an easy way to build content for an online channel for an on-demand audience because that is going to be key moving forward one of the things we read was the biggest challenge in 2022 for event organizers and marketers will be delivering comparable personalized event experiences for both in-person and virtual attendees and boy is that statement right on that is the hardest thing to do and we just talked about asynchronous events and and making sure you know not having to do it all in the same timeline that's part of that proposition there because we have to remember that the virtual audience is not at our beck and call so what we offer them needs to be more in line with their schedules more in line with all of the distractions they have going on and they have to be more appealing sure. because they haven't made the investment of time and money to travel somewhere so you have to be sly clever and a little persistent in the way that you appeal to them otherwise you're going to lose them uh, and a very very simple example of that is uh can be found in the idea of a fundraising event and and the idea of a silent auction being online uh we've seen how having an a silent auction online for a week does not work and you would think a week is a long time but when people are dealing with work and children and meals and their own errands and a home to keep and all of the other things it's just it's not going to be important no because especially at the end of the day when you've been in front of a device working when you finally get as in my case often to the 10, 11 o'clock hour at night when I can shut down. I don't want to get back on the device. Right. And you know, uh, in some of these articles, they talk about live events um, being events that offer uh, compelling, so compelling experiences that they can't be gotten anywhere else, right? That's, that's what we're hearing about how live events will continue. But the same can be said for virtual events. Hmm. You still have to make people think or give them the, the feeling that they're going to see or experience something that they can't otherwise experience or haven't. And it's going to be harder to do virtually. AR will probably become a component of that at some point. But you know what? I, I believe that that's for a younger audience and that those people that are in professional uh, um, roles now that are leading companies now are not so easily transitioned to a world of AR use. It's just not going to work for, for, for audiences as old as us. So we're future audiences. Yes. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to have to come up with some other ways to engage people virtually.
It's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we did some gameplay and we've done some other things, but the, the world is evolving. That's a good, that's the good news. Mm -hmm. That as we, you would continue on with all of these dilemmas, uh, there is work being done and the creatives are at work. Creatives are at work. We're making things happen that you didn't even know would be possible. And it's not as scary. It's still scary, but it's not as scary. No, it isn't as scary. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think the what we're seeing again is that corporations are not moving. They're not budging. And I imagine that for a lot of them, it's still a bit tenuous and scary. So uh, we don't want to end on a scary note. Oh. We don't ever want to end on a scary note, so, um, but we have, unfortunately. Uh, I'm so curious and interested to hear from our audience, uh, those of you that are in the event world, in the engagement world, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? Would you share that with us? It's so easy. Just go onto our website, bullwada.com, and hit the podcast tab and tell us what you're thinking. We'd love to hear it. Uh, and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you might be able to give us five stars again, even if you gave us five stars once already. So would you do us that favor and go back and give us five stars? And if you're not listening, on Apple Podcast, just thank you for listening wherever you're listening. Keep listening. Share us. Keep listening. Yes. Keep listening. And uh, that's for today, the second week of January 2022. Uh, how would you like to say goodbye, Alex? Any final words of wisdom? Happy New Year. Move forth positively, confidently, joyously, and peacefully. That's what I have to say. And I would say, always do your best. And remember that your best differs from day to day. Yes. That's it. That's it. Thank you for joining us.